Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of art, the show of music, Mescal, Aberfelty, Craig Elliki, and so much more. Today we sit down and chat with Georgie Bell, the global malt brand ambassador for Bacardi. Some of these things like the Deveron, Aberfeldy, Craig Elliki, and as we know, Doers. So we recently sat down, she came into town during a sale weekend of all weekends. Had a lovely chat in the mid-afternoon, sipping some beautiful Craig Elliki, and talked about life and talked about whiskey. A beautiful chat. Thank you, Irene, again from Bacardi, making the introduction and sitting in and laughing along with us. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Georgie Bell. I think on the positive side of things, I've been in the whiskey industry specifically uh, ever since I graduated yeah. university. So that was back in 2010. So the last eight years, I've kind of devoted my life to whiskey. And I've seen the whiskey industry even change in terms of the dynamics internally mm. um, since then. And also with sort of drinkers and drinkers attitudes. So, you know, it's not all bad, um, but I definitely think there's room for more growth. I, I've, I very much fight for that. It's funny, though, I often get asked the question, and it's one of my most disliked questions, mm. is what's it like to be a woman in the whiskey industry? And I want to respond with, well, I've never been a man. So, <laughs> it's a you know, bit subjective, I think. I, I don't really, you know, I, I've never felt like I've experienced any um, discouragement yeah. or anything like that. But someone posed it to me, and I was for a while I was thinking, well, I'm just no, not going to answer that anymore because mm. I'm sick of it. Then someone posed to me about six months ago, they were like, the reason that question is being asked is it because it still needs to be asked. When it's not asked anymore, it means the situation's been normalized, right? And that's mm. accepted. And so you as a woman in the industry do have the responsibility that, yes, you can talk about it in your own way and in the right way, yeah. but you still need to talk about it because until it becomes normalized, you know, we have to get there. Yeah. The thing is with whiskey, and I find this so fascinating, is that... A lot of the stereotypes that exist within, and sorry, when I say whiskey, I mean Scotch whiskey. Okay. I know over here in America, but say bourbon's got similar whiskey. issues, you know. Um, that, but, but just whenever I say whiskey, I'm sorry, I, oh, I mean Scotch. Um, it's funny, like a lot of the stereotypes that exist within Scotch whiskey mm. are actually because of the whiskey industry itself. You know, if you look back at past advertising, you go back into sort of that. Well, ad single malts emerged in the 1960s. That's when the first single malt came into market. Yeah. And that was when, you know, you started to build up this idea that single malts were better than blends, yeah, which is a stereotype that we have within right. Scotch. You then look back into advertising and you see that blended Scotch was always advertised um, mixed, mm. generally. Um, so Dewar's, for instance, another whiskey within our portfolio, sure. um, Tommy Dewar was actually uh, claimed to be the inventor of the highball, 
And so it was always sort of advertised in a highball serve. Mm -hmm. Single malts were always advertised um, straight. So again, you have another stereotype from there. And then (laughs) my favorite one is actually, if you look back, there is um, advertising is split between drink this as a man and you'll be successful. Uh And you've got a lot of those poses of a guy looking into the glass with a a woman standing (laughs) behind him, just posing. Right. And then the other one is women being used as sort of um, almost like um, sex cells. And there was a series of, a, I don't want to name names, but yeah. I can show you them later. Sure, sure. There's some awful like advertising campaigns yeah. of women being used to sell whiskey because sex sells. So, you know, when we actually look at the idea of, of whiskey being a man's drink, it's come from advertising. Absolutely. Now, that's okay. Like, I'm not. It's fine because it was of its time, right? Right. It doesn't mean it's right, but it was of its time. But I think myself, along with pretty much everyone that works within whiskey today, we're like, okay, that existed. Yeah. But now is our opportunity to re-educate empathetically, sure. knowing that people might have that idea because of um, the way it's been interpreted in the past. But, you know, what's interesting is that this prescribes consumer behavior you know to your point and that's yeah. the thing i think is actually quite dangerous because there are some asto- i mean as we're we'll get into what we're submitting in a second but <laughs> there are some astonishing blends that i wouldn't dare put something in because it's like the perfect it's it's like a cocktail in itself because you're using these different whiskeys to represent yeah. different kinds of things so in a way we have an opportunity to re-prescribe how people should drink because they're looking for lead they're looking for guidance yeah it's a very, very convoluted and sometimes intimidating world of scotch. Yeah. No, totally. And there's a lot of judgment in it yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's funny. Uh, a friend of mine in the UK, a guy called Ian, the other day asked me about um, adding water to whiskey. And he has this theory that it's an alpha male thing. That if you don't add water to your whiskey, it's because you're an alpha male and you oh, can really? take it. And I was like, well, I'm not ah. sure about that theory, but there definitely is this this idea that, oh, if you don't add water to your whiskey, it means you know how to drink it properly and you're a real whiskey drinker. And it's like, again, that's something where I'm like, okay, I can empathize. And if sure. you want to drink your whiskey like that, that's fine. But, you know, for me, this whiskey that we're about to have, the Aberfeldy. I keep smelling it and that's just, <laughs> it's like I have like a, a, fr- a freshly baked <laughs> pie in front of me. And I'm like, yeah. just, I gotta eat this thing. But yes. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, I'll drink that neat, sure. Yeah. I'll have that sometimes stirred down in an old-fashioned with some honey syrup, right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a Madeira note in there as well to bring out the Madeira cask. I might want that in a highball if it's really hot like it is for me right. here today. <laughs> um, you know, so there are lots of different ways of doing it. And I think that's why it's exciting also seeing bartenders using, especially single malts mm-hmm. more in cocktails, um, getting out that message that if chefs use their finest ingredients in dishes, why shouldn't bartenders use their finest ingredients in cocktails? Yeah. And by putting a single malt in cocktail, it's opening up people's ideas into what whiskey can be rather than it just having to be subjected to be drinking straight or with a drop of water or with ice. I had here. This is one of the things that kind of to resonate that point. The other evening I had an Isla scotch in a pineapple gum lime juice kind of tiki drink and i was like Yum. i was looking at it, i'm like okay 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 you got it. I, <laughs> fine I was, i'll try to be open-minded yeah it was fucking incredible because yeah. you don't ever 
say, well, I'm going to actually emphasize and bring out the notes of an eye-lipeated scotch yeah. with citrus. So let's put it this way. The renaissance is perhaps upon us and people are willing to explore and they don't feel like they're ruining it by making it heightened and accentuated by other really beautiful no. ingredients. And I think with whiskey and cocktails, you know, um, sure, you could put this in a pina colada and it would taste absolutely banging. Yeah. Would it be the most appropriate use of this whiskey <laughs> to highlight its and accentuate its like flavors? Yeah. Probably not, but I'm not one to judge. You know, I yeah. love a pina colada, so, you know, it was good. Sure. But, you know, I think that's what's really exciting is seeing what bartenders these days around the world mm-hmm. are doing with, with, with whiskey, with single malts, with bends, with with American whiskey, um, and it's really fun to see. It's great. And one yeah. of the things that's really becoming quite interesting, as it always has been, but even more lately, is cask treatment as a segue into this beautiful bottle you just brought back yeah. that you throw into Texas. And so tell me about an Aberfeldly 16 Madeira cask. Right? Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's I've been pretty smelling it. sexy so. whiskey. It, so this just launched like a month ago. I don't even have any stock of it at home. Every time I pass through Heathrow Airport, I'm having to like buy bottles to bring out here, <laughs> like almost like um, muling them over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just launched in in the UK, but it's going to be a it is a global release. Oh, great! Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it will be coming to airports here in the states. Um, so Aberfeldy is known for its honeyed richness, mm. and Stephanie McLeod, our master blender across uh, the whole of our portfolio. She's a huge fan of Madeira casks, and she actually mm. thinks that Madeira and Madeira is Aberfeldy's best friend. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So this is a 16-year-old whiskey that for the majority of its life is matured in first fill bourbon, refill, and rechar casks. I love rechar casks with scotch. It brings out a slight spiciness to the mix, almost like a high west double rye spiciness. Yeah, right, right. And then it's then finished in two different types of Madeira casks mm. um, for about six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes these drams necessitate a moment of silence <laughs> to, to reflect. Which also is kind of nice here is I think we get some darker chocolate and, and, and kind of coffee notes too pulled, pulled with that the light brightness, honey crispness of the, the Aberfeldy. So it's a more brooding version, mm. you know? This is like, I don't know, it's coming up to, well, it's winter in the UK at the moment, <gasps> and, you know, it's coming up to Christmas, and this is like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is like what I want to be drinking yeah. at a responsible hour for the next three months. And the good thing is, is there, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no glossary for the responsible hour. So I dare anyone to go research and tell me what that is. Is it GMT? I don't know. Cause it could be East coast. It's funny. We were in a bar last night, Irene and I, and, um, I, cause I, I flew in yesterday and it's yeah. a 10 hour flight, right? So I left the UK at, at midday and at one o'clock, like the airline I was flying on, they had a pretty good wine list and I don't usually drink on flights, but I was like, Oh, I'll just have one glass of wine. <laughs> uh, kind of cheekily even though i mean people love drinking on flights right but i fly so much that actually normally a flying day is a a day off alcohol for me um but i was like i'll just have one glass of wine i had like you know three it was fine it was 10 hours um and i got here and we were sitting at the bar and i was like yeah so i had my first drink today at 7 a.m austin time (laughs) and they were like and like so so what that's (laughs) fine 
I know we'd expect that they would flinch here. It's an interesting lifestyle and it is responsible. But our schedules are also different. Yeah. You know? So a working lunch for me is different than a working lunch for someone that's behind the bar. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of a brilliant thing. So this is, you know, this is what I was thinking about. So this is the first one. This is this evolution of Aberfeldy. Uh-huh. And enhancement and enrichment of it. So I want to go back to your story. And seemingly, so you went to, to school in Edinburgh. Yeah. But you grew up in the UK. Yep. Because, so unfortunately, yeah. Whereabouts in the UK <laughs> did you grow up? I grew up just outside of London. Okay. Yeah. Uh, about 45 minutes outside of London, drive-wise. And um, yeah, I ended up going to Edinburgh University studying geography. Mm-hmm. And in my first year, my parents turned around to me and said, stop freeloading. You need to get a job in a bar. Sorry. They said, you need to get a job. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped ahead. But then they said, whatever you do, do not get a job in a bar. Do not get a job in a nightclub. You will ruin your education. Well, Rook, why might they say that? Do because your folks have any experience in the hospitality industry? No, not from working in it. And they thought that the late nights yeah. would then consume my life. What they didn't realize is... Was still spending this, you know, I'd still be in a bar late if I yeah. wasn't working in it. Um, but I got a job in a nightclub. That was my first ever job. Mm. And um, the company took a chance with me and it was amazing. And that was the start of everything. The kind of the, the first taste. Yeah. Now. I got so consumed with it. I mean, I, I still did well with my degree. I got a 2-1 at the end. Yeah, which, which was interesting to me. So, you know, you were talking before we were recording, you were saying how much you've traveled. You've been to pretty much all, you've been to America over 40 times. Yeah. This is the first time into Texas. Yeah. So this sense of geography for you, is it that you had this wanderlust, that you had this just deep fascination with the world and that's why you pursued that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, it's, I don't really know. I mean, I did geography at university because... So when you go to university in the UK, before you go, you have to write a proposal as to, like, an essay as to oh. why you want to study that that course. So it's that specific. Wow. And okay. I wrote, this was when I was 17, and I wrote that I wanted to do geography because I wanted to be, like, Sir Captain Scott and explore the world. <laughs> I wanted to... I wrote this. I wanted to count penguins with this British Antarctical survey. That's amazing. And I wanted to just travel around the world and I wanted to learn about it and learn about glaciers. And that's why I was doing geography. And it's funny that um, I've ended up with a job where I am exploring the world, but, you know, instead, of a, compass, bottles, you instead of a compass in my hand, I've got a bottle of whiskey in my hand, you know. It gives you the same kind of uh, calibration, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, as it, maybe... Flipped to how you yeah. anticipate. Yeah, we're, we're your little yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a kind of a discovery. I mean, how about the life of a traveler? Yeah, not necessarily someone that's in the brain ambassador, but as a as an explorer, yeah, can be a solemn one, can be a very very lonely one. So thinking about just the sheer act of traveling and exploring, did you have predilection towards communicating with people? Did you like people? That's because that's one of the things. And, and this is a, I'm not casting judgment. I'm just like some some people are like, well, I would rather just be an academic traveling the world, taking notes, and then taking pictures of these penguins. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think this job. So I've I've traveled for about six nine months of the year. Yeah. Uh, for the last six years, and this job has really made me like come out of myself. And I think um, the hospitality industry does that anyway. You step mm. behind the bar and you have this amazing team, right? And you just you get a confidence that you may not have had before but a right. way of um talking to people and 
even the sheer act of making people's night through drinks and talking to strangers and, you know, instantly being able to be their friend. Mm -hmm. I think that that develops you as a person. Um, So I think working behind a bar completely set me up properly for this job. Was I like that when I was 18? I don't think so. Um, So it actually honed that tool for you. Yeah. Your ability to do like giving speech rather let's go pre and then post did you like standing in front of a crowd and giving a speech i mean i still i still don't like it well i i i love doing it i do but oh my god i get so nervous like and it's funny i was at tales this year and i was presenting there and someone was like why are you so nervous you do this all the time and i'm like i still get so nervous like you don't want to be around me like the half an hour before i have to talk to a group of people i I just get really nervous i don't know any rituals for you to before you take the stage, so to speak? Not really. No, just no. Just like, just <laughs> freaking out mainly. That seems to be a commonality every time. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's interesting because I love the duality. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like you go before the the, the, the curtain opens. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. Yeah, I am literally doing yeah. that and I'm like, oh fuck, sorry. sorry. And then it opens <laughs> up. Yeah, and no, like, it's fine. My, my palms get sweaty yeah. and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I think I'm going to like fool up and then, you know, I'm, I am so passionate about what I do and about um, not only just the whiskies within our portfolio, but the whiskey industry in general and also education mm-hmm. um, that I know that once I've spoken for even like one minute in front of the people, I'm like, it's fine. You know, I don't, I'm not a person that has to stand there and imagine everyone naked, yeah. but I, I'm a person that has to stand there and I have to think in my head, look, no one's sitting here to, to want me to mess this up, right. you know? So once you've kind of got that in your head, then mm-hmm. I'm okay. The types of questions you've been getting over this evolution of being a brand ambassador, have they gotten better, worse, same? Um, I think they've got a lot easier. Oh, okay. Um, not e- Maybe that's not the right word. But I think when I started, when I, when I started this job, I was 24. That's incredible. I'm 30 now. Yeah. I was 24. That's very young. And... Um, you know, I'd be standing in front of groups of people and I'm like this young blonde girl standing there and you'd often get these quizzical looks being like, I mean, are you lost? Like, you know, yeah. and then wow. you start talking and then sometimes it depends on what countries you're in, if they're more traditional thinking countries than others. Sometimes you'll get someone asking a question to kind of like trip you up. Sure. And Condescending. I think that's why I did um, some of my studies within whiskey and distilling is to sort of um, make sure that I was even more confident. Yeah. Um, and I found with stuff like that, as long as you pull out like a silver bullet of information, then you're fine. <laughs> you do that and everyone's like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Vetting complete. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, but even though saying that, like even though I remember one of the first whiskey festivals I went to actually as a global brand ambassador was the Victoria Whiskey Festival mm. that Lawrence Graham runs up in Victoria in Canada. Mm. Still to this day, like up there with one of my favorites. Beautiful place. Yeah. And, um, you know, being at this festival, I was doing a presentation there, but being there with a lot of my um, ambassador peers, like other other people that were ambassadors who mm. were supporting me, they'd treat me like a sister. Yeah. And it was so nice because you knew that you, that you had that support, that it made you feel less like you were just, for me, yeah. just like out of my league. I think there. that's amazing. The community. The- mm-hmm. There is a whiskey community. Yeah. There is an agave community. Yep. And I love the fact we can rally together to learn and support each other too. You know, I wanted to be in tequila originally. Did you? Yeah. I um, 
So I actually wrote about whiskey for my undergrad dissertation. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I did geography, uh, but one of my courses that I did was the geography of wine. Mm. It got me thinking about the relationship between geography and alcohol. Um, So I actually ended up doing my final year thesis on whiskey and regional identity and the creation of an image of a place through the whiskey industry. So I studied the island of Isla and tradition and heritage and the geography of consumption Mm. and basically the projected identity of Isla to the world through its whiskey industry. Oh, that's amazing. But when before I did that, I actually proposed that I was going to go to uh, Mexico and study tequila and do um, globalization versus localization. I'd written this whole proposal. I was getting ready to go there for the summer. This was the summer of 2009 yeah. um, to go and do interviews and do six weeks of travel out there. Great time to do it then too. Uh, like almost yeah. undiscovered, mm, right? Yes, you say that, but in the summer of 2009, oh. hello swine flu. Oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, crap. So okay. swine flu happened. I remember I was, it was like, I just finished one of my exams in my third year and my mum phones me and she's like, yeah, Georgie, you need to check the news. Swine flu's just happened in Mexico. You can't go. Oh. And I was like, Ah, uh, what am I going to do? And that, that's why, because I was in Scotland and I liked whiskey already. I was like, right, I'll do whiskey. So it sounds bad, but if it wasn't for swine flu, I'd be actually be within I mean, tequila. That's a, <laughs> but that's a really pivotal thing. Do you know the other hilarious thing as well is that ever since 2009, I've been wanting to go to Mexico. I'm finally going there this Christmas with my boyfriend. I still haven't been 10 years later and I'm finally getting to Mexico. It, you know, it was, <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah. Finally. Man. Cheers yeah, cheers to that. To that. Yeah. Cheers. Lovely spot. <laughs> mm. So, well, so we've got a couple. So I'm thinking, you know, how do how do I frame this narrative? And I, because I've got such a strange nerdy affinity towards Craig Elliott, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. But I do want to talk about the moment in which you realized whiskey was going to be something for your career, something for your lifeblood, and you. I, I've, I've been regaled with some tales in the press about a particular Quinta Rubin that you sipped with some water and then yep. that opened up your perspective on it. But when did you truly understand how to taste whiskey? Not necessarily that you enjoyed it. So that was when, so it was just after university. And so this was back in uh, the se- summer of 2010. Mm-hmm. And I was working in a bar and I uh, didn't like my manager. <laughs> None of us liked him. And um, it's okay. It's fine to say that. Um, I'm like, am I pissing anyone else? No, it's fine. Um, So anyway, I quit without a job. And that's the first time I've ever done that. Mm. And I was going to move to Mexico actually then to teach English. And I did my TEFL 110 hour. I was like, right, I'll go out there and teach English. You're ready to go. You're ready. I was ready to go. I'd accepted a job. And then I had this conversation with someone. And then I was like, no, actually, I don't want to do that. I want to get into whiskey. So there was a there is this incredible independent bottler and membership club called the Scotch Malt Whiskey mm-hmm. Society. And literally after I'd had this conversation the next day, I'm not making this up. I looked on Gumtree or something like that, and there was a job as a bar assistant. No way. I hounded them with CVs, with resumes. Literally, I think I got them got it to them through like five different people I ended up getting a job there now the scotch malt whiskey society is an incredible incredible independent bottler and there what they do is they 
um, they buy casks from. Have you come across them before? I've, I've tasted all of them from this year, or yeah. maybe not all, but four, yeah. five cubes. The Lafroy that sold out, or, or rather the Isla that was awarded gold. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. So they uh, they buy single casks from distilleries. They number the distilleries and then they number the casks. So it's all about the flavor. Yeah. And I went there to improve the relationship between my mouth, my nose, and my brain. Amazing. Right. And so actually, it was at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, working behind a bar that had over 200 whiskies that were all about flavor. That's where I got into it. And I really got into it there. And it was it was somewhere where someone came up to the bar and said, I want a whiskey. I'd say, okay, well, what sort of whiskey? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, okay. And I'd start with this list of questions of like looking at what the weather was like and what were they about to eat? Yeah. Uh, what was the time of day? Were they going to have a beer with it? But beer did they like, if they weren't a whiskey drinker, did they like red wine or white wine? What sort of like intensity of white wines did they like? And then from this, I would construct this idea of like from behind the back bar of what whiskey I was going to choose from. And then I'd line up like three different ones and have them try them and everything like that. It's exciting. You're curating an experience. I'm a bit of a control freak. So curating an experience is fantastic (laughs) for me. Um, But I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so it was there. And at, well, it was there also that I did my second degree in distilling, I right think. through that, not through them, but while I was working there. Yeah. But it was there working behind that bar that I realized that my passion was whiskey. And this was back in 2010 where there was no carved career path. I didn't know no. which way I could have gone, but I was like, I'm just going to do this and see what happens and comes out of it. So talking about the breadth of flavor in Scott, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's only rivaled by mezcal. In terms of the strangeness of flavors, mm-hmm. the curious flavors, the things that feel nostalgic. But for you at this time, what are some notes that you actually don't prefer? Because you talk about Aberfeldine, and that's basically everything you want. That's yeah. like a Paul McCartney top ten hit thing. It's <laughs> easy to remember, you know. It's like super smooth. It's lovable. You're gonna hug it, right? But <laughs> but on the other end of the spectrum, what are some notes that you still, after all of these years, don't they don't really resonate with you? Um, I'm a big fan of sherry. Oh yeah. But I would prefer a glass of sherry than an overly sherried whiskey. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of big big. Sh- I like I like a hint of sherry. Sure. So Royal Brackler, another one of mm-hmm. our whiskeys. Um. All three expressions of finished and first fill Oloroso sherry casks. That gives like a veil of sherry over top, like yeah. like a like a layer of icing on a cake, sure, right? Sure. And that's what finishing it's does. It's not the foundation of the. Flavor. It's not the foundation, but for me personally, I'm not a huge fan on the big tannin, big big sherry cask oh, whiskies. Okay. Um, that would be my one piece that I don't really like. I like that, but I, I think that's great to notice because that is such a style. And for me, <laughs> sometimes that's all, all I want. Yeah. And I know I just wanted to beat me over the head. Yeah. You know, I hate the way Bob Dylan sings, but still sometimes you want him to sing. I think that's the incredible thing about whiskey, though, and it's something that I do try and advocate quite a lot, um, is the fact that we're not all going to like the same thing. Yeah. And Craig Ellicky, for instance, which you really enjoy, that's kind of like a Marmite, right, of the yeah. whiskey industry. You know, it's a love it, hate it sort of thing. And whenever I do tastings, I'll be like, who's not so fond of this whiskey? And I'm encouraging people to put their hands up because I'm like, that's a good thing. We all have different palettes, right? What I do encourage is that if you don't like something today, try it tomorrow when you're in a different mood, when you're in a different surroundings, maybe pair it with a different beer, right? I'm a big fan of beer and whiskey pairings. Interesting, okay. Yeah, huge fan of it. Uh, We call them half and halves in Scotland. 
um the original boilermaker i see move over boilermakers <laughs> come on um but so i'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of that but and i'm a big fan of saying to people that you know whiskey isn't for everyone and i'm very honest and open and if i try something and i go that's not for me like yeah. i think that, that's a good thing to I think do so too i think knowing what you like and knowing what you don't like and being able to accept that it's okay if yeah. everybody doesn't like the same thing as you what about you though I mean, so, do you have a flavor that you're like, mm, there is one. Know. Yeah, there is a flavor that I get on some of the island whiskeys. Okay. That to me, this peeks into the Craig Elke. Yeah. Roasted fish. Yep. Right. And I, when you push it, there's one distillery that comes to mind where it's just a little bit too much for me. Is it uh, a Campbelltown distillery? No, I love those guys. That cheesy okay. straw thing. I love that thing. Yeah. Springbank is oh like a big, big favorite of mine. So, and all the wine cask finishes. Yeah, they they're remarkable. really exciting. Yeah. And they're long row reds. Oh, dude. <gasps> yeah. They have... I, we could wax <laughs> politically about yeah. whiskey for hours. I do not doubt that. <laughs> but Lecheque, for me, is just too much. And it's just too coastal, too fishy, too Eskimo-y, Eskimo right? Yeah. But where the mushrooms, the sulfur, and the beautiful honey kind of notes all come together on paper sound like it would be fucking a disaster. Yeah. And Craig Elke come together. And so this is why I'm such uh, a fan of this thing. Because Craig Elke is an incredible distillery. Um, it's funny, I actually went to the Maltings the other day. Oh, so... Wow. Um, at Craig Ellicke, we're the only distillery, or Craig Ellicke is the only distillery in Scotland that actually oil fires its barley during the uh, kilning process, during oh, the malting. What, what kind of oil do you, would you It's use? like a heavy oil, oh, okay. right? But whereas we malted our barley at our distillery until uh, 1968. Mm. At that point, we moved over to a commercial maltings. They're great. Sure. You know, they will malt your barley to your specifications with great consistency. Um, but over time, a lot of commercial maltings moved to indirect firing and indirect firing of the barley during this kilning stage. Oh, I see. But what we want from Craig Ellicke's malt is we want it to be big and we actually want it to be sulfurous at that stage. Okay, so good. We, I'm glad I'm not just picking that up strangely. No, like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> so we actually burn, we burn heavy oil and we have a direct fire underneath the barley that then dries out the barley during the kilning stage oh, there is yeah. there is one kiln it's kiln number two at glenesk maltings in montrose in aberdeenshire mm. that is the craig Elliki kiln so that goes into craig Elliki. the really interesting thing for me about craig Elliki is that at the distillery we do look to create a big sulfurous style of spirit mm. it's meaty it's muscular it's robust it's slightly umami mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. do have that sexy armpit you know note coming into mm -hmm. play along with like the mushrooms but then we also create a fruity style of whiskey and as craig Ellicke gets older there's this like interchange and the robust sort of sulfury note goes down and this fruitiness starts to emerge. So there's always pineapple for me present in Craig Ellicke. Interesting. And in Craig Ellicke 13, it comes through as a slightly dried pineapple, right? Or mm -hmm. a roasted pineapple. And then as it gets older, it becomes more and more heady to the point with the Craig Ellicke 23, which I think maybe will be poured in a minute. Yeah. Um, you get this incredible sort of explosion of tropical fruit and almost like a plate of pineapple that you've left out in the sun. So it's really really aromatic and starts to almost ferment in a way you know yeah, really sure, big sure. pineapple um and then that sulfurous note so even after 13 years so this is the craig Ellicke 13 
even after 13 years in, this is in a mixture of both sherry and bourbon 50-50. Oh, it's 50 okay. Yeah, even after that time, I, I wouldn't call this sulfurous, but I'd say it's more like burnt matchstick, right? Mm. Rather than pure sulfur. Right, right. It kind of, it, it, the umami thing really works for me because it's like buttered mushrooms. Yeah. Right, So, it, but it's not cheesy. So sometimes you get a lactic quality when you have that umami, but yeah. here it's just nicely reduced with some cream. And just a little bit of salt and maybe yeah. a little bit of thyme or something. It's kind of it's not particularly herbaceous, but to me, this is a dinner whiskey. Yeah, you know, it's very fulfilling. And another flavor, so a really desirable flavor that I love in whiskey is waxy. Mm, right. Um, almost like a scented candle in a sauna waxiness, and that also starts to develop as Craig Ellicky gets older. Mm. And we are going to be launching soon here in the USA. Craig Ellicky, 33. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, the problem, you know, the problem is, and the, you know, a lot of these guys that do these whiskey, because like, I talk to everybody from all kinds of industries, but a lot of the, the people that do whiskey-centric podcasts are like, what's allocation like? And like, I just know that I'm going to have to see someone at a bar at two o'clock in the morning and say, can we do this thing? And it will be, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be like a small flask and then, yeah. it, then it'll happen yeah. and it'll be a moment and be like, at least I got to try it once. You know? there's, there's not a lot of it because, yeah, sure. I mean, it's 33 years old, right? Yeah. But that waxy tropical fruit, almost like you're walking through a Moroccan spice souk with mm. like humid air and like spices in the air and rose tea and all of those sort of exotic notes coming yeah. through. A sandalwood as well. It's amazing. It, this it, Here's a couple other reasons why I like it. Now, Full disclosure, I don't work for Bacardi. I want to make sure everybody, everybody <laughs> understands that. <laughs> that if I talk at length or ad nauseum about a particular skew, it's because I really like it and it reminds me of something about myself or something in art that really re- what resonates with me. Yeah. Beyond that piece, aesthetically, the sheen, the beautiful flavor of this, it's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It's 46% ABV. Yep. And it does not taste it. And you can get it. And it is an unsung hero. It is yeah. underground. It's still on those mixtapes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so when I um, was at the Society, Craig Ellicky's number 44, our members knew that as soon as we got it in to oh, buy yeah. it because it was amazing. So this Craig Ellicky launched as a single malt with the spotlight in 2014, but it del- did build up this underground following through independent bottlers yeah. before that. Um, but you're right. It's oh, it's phenomenal. Thirteen, especially. I love straight. I love mm-hmm. stirring it down in an old fashioned, but putting in pineapple syrup instead of like mm. plain plain sugar syrup. Yeah, it's very versatile. I have a distiller's art, twenty three, and it is so elegant. And yeah. so anyway, you know, if I like it so much, why don't I marry it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what I can do. But it, <laughs> I think the laws as they stand is going to be quite difficult. <laughs> difficult hurdle for me. Ah, uh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right, Craig. Ah, uh, that's right. That's how I learned the name of this thing. How? Okay, what's... Brief tangent. What is the best slash worst pronunciation that has butchered Craig Ellicky that you hear pretty regularly? I mean, I'll often just get the... Why people can't even say it. Sorry, that oh, doesn't oh, go oh. down there. Being silent on a podcast <laughs> isn't the best It thing. was like a pantomime <laughs> for confusion is what it was. <laughs> It's the point where someone looks at the name and they go, above. <laughs> uh, Craig Lachey. Craig Lachey from uh, Craig 98 Lachey. Degrees, that boy band? Uh. <laughs> Isn't that the same guy? 
Oh, Nick Lachey. Craig Lachey was his brother. My, my apologies. That's just gone straight over my head. But sure. Uh, Craig Lachey. Craig Alacchi. Craig Alacchi. Yeah. Yeah, um, that one. My, my mom has stayed in Craig Alacchi. I bought her a night at the Craig Alacchi Hotel, and she still refuses to pronounce it properly just to piss me off. <laughs> She's like, oh, we're going to go stay at Craig Alacchi. And I'm like, oh... <laughs> You know, it's. I mean, it's it's a tough one. I have this guy that corrects me every time at specs, and I'm like, "You're saying it wrong, you son of a bitch." <laughs> and because I, re- I mean, I ask, I can ask you, I can ask yeah. Irene, I can ask Gabe. You know, like, no, I think I, at this point, but he's still pre- he corrects me every time. And I'm like, Fine. but we do not make it easy for people in in Scotland. I mean, the first time I saw the word Benahaven, mm. uh, when I saw Brookbody, mm-hmm. I was just like. I, I just don't know. Like, it's one of those things where you look at the name and you're like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Glen Glasser. Glen Glasser, right, right. Ben Great Riach. whiskey. Oh, it's a, the revival's lovely with all the wine. Some friends of mine, actually, from Bramble in Edinburgh. It was yeah. like a seven-minute walk from my house. Still goes down. as It's just, that's my home bar, right? Yeah. That is my, like, favorite bar. Um, they just bought out a six-and-a-half-year-old uh, Glen Glasser peated in sherry casks now i know i said before i'm not a huge fan of sherry casks but sherry casks done like that yeah goodness is phenomenal man well so all we're doing is setting trends right here in this conversation (laughs) we're just creating this next list of gifts for 2019 that everybody's going to want yeah (laughs) i gotta make it to bramble too that's the place i always suggest to folks but one of the most unpretentious whiskey sorry cocktail bars in the entire world i think uh, I have a huge affinity for Edinburgh. Obviously, I live in London now. I've lived there for two years, and yeah. I love it. I really do. But something about Edinburgh, it's like a homecoming every time I go. Mm. And Bramble's just exceptional. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I got you the, yeah, the drama of it. It's good. It's a, I mean, it's a lovely marriage of the Pete and the show. And I love glasses stuff. It's really lovely. So then, you know, I think, okay, so you've got this global ambassador you've done everything in the best so here's the thing you've paid dues in a really great way if someone would say this is the order of operations to be prepared or at least well positioned to be a brand ambassador globally for scotch you kind of did that really in a great way in an orderly fashion thanks <laughs> sure this is, i feel like a school counselor right like, oh, you, you made good decisions you got good job placement but what is there all of the tools that you've acquired, both in terms of communication, travel, knowledge, and your connections? Do you ever want your own blend, your own distillery? Label? Well, or that that large for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like I think most bartenders have a dream of of owning their own bar one day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love whiskey through and through, and yeah, I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. I one thing like I can say is I love working for Bacardi, like, and I can say that having worked for two other big companies before. Sure. Yeah, one um, of the biggest, if I recall, previous one. Bacardi's great, though. Bacardi I is like these guys a lot. is as phenomenal as a company, and I think if I was ever going to do my own thing. I'd want to carry forward the values that Bacardi has as a company, mm. um, that it's family owned, that it encourages its uh, 
its staff, its employees to be fearless, to act like owners, um, to value family um, and to respect founders, to set up these whiskey uh, distilleries and these whiskies today as if, you know, we're we're building these up for the next 100 years. Um, Honestly, it it cares, but it also allows you to be creative as well. I've had some incredible opportunities within Bacardi Uh, One of my most exciting at the moment, though, is that we have just hired six single malt ambassadors here in the USA. Oh, great. And that's why I'm here today is because of Irene currently here in in Austin and, you know, being able to work alongside um, Irene and the other five and building them up and slowly mentoring and, you know, supporting them as a supporting actress. My job is like, I'm not the star. I am a supporting actress or actor, sorry, I should say, to both the whiskey, but also to Irene here in Austin. I, you know... Let's give Irene a couple minutes here a second. So <laughs> I I was so impressed with her just ability to learn stuff. Yeah. And really wanting to take it on. And the way that she's kind of provided aesthetically a connection into these brands has been really, really nice. And I, you know, normally I don't take time to kind of talk about the ambassadors that way, but since she can't, she doesn't have a mic, so I can kind of say what I want. It's not <laughs> <laughs> she's slowly going more and more red. Tell you what, I'll describe... <laughs> If you if you carry on talking, I'll just describe the facial reactions that are coming from her right now. But it is such a fun crew, the Bacardi. Yeah, guy. you know the the team here in in Texas. I've had the pleasure of speaking to almost everyone, and it is a family. Yeah, you know. But it's like that around the world, and you know, to go back to a point that you said uh, a while ago was about um, traveling being quite a solitary thing and sure. quite lonely. Sure, I travel everywhere by myself um facetime helps yeah. of course and um it can get um a little bit sad at times when i'm away from my boyfriend a bit too much yeah but um the one amazing thing is that wherever i go around the world i'm working with people like irene you know incredible people who are friends as well as colleagues sure. um and we're all like-minded we're all doing this for the same reason so it's, it's that, that's amazing so that it feels like if i were to step across the aisle into a new industry. Yeah. I would probably ask them for a job. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, honestly, honestly, we have an incredible advocacy team across the world. Yeah. Um, but every part of Bacardi is, is is good. And, you know, if you look at the portfolio as well, our, just even within whiskey, you mm. know, um, Angel's Envy. Uh-huh. Yeah. I went to Louisville this year on the way to um, New Orleans. I mean... American whiskey is very hard to get your head around. The transparency <laughs> isn't at the fore. Right, that's right. Um, unless you're bottled in bonds, like, I'm not there yet. Yeah. But Angel's Envy was amazing to see. Um, Angel's Envy, Doers, uh, William Lawson's uh, part ownership in Teeling as mm-hmm. well, Irish single malt. Lovely, sorry, Irish, lovely, yeah. Yeah, lovely Irish Jack's whiskey. wonderful guy. Yeah, great. Amazing. Um, and then we have five incredible single malt distilleries. Now, Bacardi may not be seen as a single malt company, right? Right. In fact, when I joined Bacardi two years ago, everyone was like, but you're a whiskey girl. Why are you going to go work for a rum company? Mm-hmm. And I said, actually, it's because they have these five incredible single malt distilleries. They're extremely proud of them and they want to do it in the right way. Sure. Good price on all these two. This is yeah. the thing. This is the thing. The Altmore, that's, a, that's an unsung hero <gasps> too. Altmore, Altmore 12 is like it's my great. perfect aperitivo whiskey. We yeah. should have one of those later, Irene. And, or here, because yeah. of course I've got one. But, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, so that's an unsung hewer. 
there's so much stuff that you guys have because let me try to name these because just for posterity's sake but Aberfeldy yep Dewars yep Craig Allocky mm-hmm. Altmore mm-hmm. and Royal Brockler and the Devron the Devron oh, that's right that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah which is Glen Devron when Devrin. you um, go through airports so we're reaching this final chapter and the way I look at this is if this was a three act play or three act movie yep the the third act gives us our resolution our denouement but also kind of talks about the future a little bit. And so this is a question I ask everybody because it kind of peeks into their taste with art and family and all that. But let's just say because, <laughs> so one, I don't want to hide this. We're now sipping the Craig Elke 23. 23. And you're right. It's this like gets tighter and fruitier. Tropical fruit, that robustness still oh, comes geez. through. Like it's, thank you. Mm. There's a set like a spicy sandalwood note in mm-hmm. there as well. I'm getting a bit of oranges on it today, which I never usually get. I don't know. Whiskey just, maybe I'm looking at orange paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ooh, oranges. <laughs> this tastes like lyrics. Wait, yeah. <laughs> mm, oh, this is, yeah, it's, it gets fruity. It almost, there's another thing going on here too, which is almost like mentholatum to me. It's just, it's very cool. It's the texture. People don't talk about the texture of whiskey enough. Mm-hmm. And with Craig Ellicke, it's like, in fact, with all of our single malts, we're so lucky. Their textures are phenomenal. They're big. Yeah. And this one is big and waxy and cozy inside of your mouth in yeah. this incredible, almost like sticky, yet luxurious sort of way. You know, it just clings in there. It is like one. Oh, my goodness, it is. <laughs> Holy shit, it really is. So we've had sexy armpit and flan. Where yeah. else can we go? Flan is a very Texas note, to, to be honest. That's something we would cover here. I had here. pecan pie yesterday for the first time uh, ever. How do you feel about that? I mean, I did an extra like 30 minutes of like running today to That's make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was phenomenal. So let's say we're then you're, man, because honestly, this Craig Elke would go good with pecan pie. It actually, I'm just thinking about I had about a Craig Elke 13 with it yesterday. Oh, I bet it was great. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Or a little bit of salami. There's something I don't know. I'm, I'm, I haven't eaten. I haven't eaten lunch yet. I think is what the problem is. But so let's say you're sipping this 23. Yep. With anybody anywhere in the world, like you know what? Let's go to Bramble. So you're at Bramble. You're sipping the Craig Elliki 23. Who might you like to share a dram with, living or deceased? People you know, people you don't know. Um. Okay. Do you know what? I'm a very personable person, and in answer to that, I would be sipping it with everyone who has helped me and supported me with my career so far and has mm. taken a chance on me. That's who I'd be sipping it with because I'm very much a family person. Yeah. Um, and my dad would be there as well, of course, because as his only daughter being in the whiskey industry, Christmases are amazing for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I would be sitting there with the owners of Bramble, Mike and Jace. So I'd be sitting there with my... Um, with my peers, people like Ryan Chetty as well, mm. Ian Griffiths. Um, I'd be sitting there with all of my girlfriends from Edinburgh too, who supported me along the way from bars. Be sitting there with my boyfriend as well, who yeah. very much puts up with my traveling in a great smiling way because he knows he's always going to get gifts at the end of it. You have to love that. Um, I'd be sitting there with my Bacardi colleagues. You know, I'd be yeah. sitting there with everyone who is who has, um, yeah, who has supported me. I'm I've been incredibly lucky. Mm. This is a great moment for me to be here with you two and kind of sip through these lovely drams and get to hear about Ian, which I love Ian. He's, he was just in town last week, too. Yeah. Enough, yeah. yeah. Um, great community again. 
So this is the last question I've got for you. So you're in town here in Austin. Obviously, there's so much shit going on. There's ACL, all these other shows. <laughs> I don't know how that. anybody... <laughs> Did not realize that until I was booking a hotel. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, wow, they're very expensive. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Exorbitant, exorbitantly expensive, especially. Yeah. But when you kind of think about what the future holds for you, do you think about writing? Do you think about capturing this journey that you've been on in these last you know since you got out of uni basically um yeah i wouldn't be uh not against writing um i try and keep a diary very bad at it though do you really i i'm very bad at it um but i'm sure i could piece it together if i went through my photos yeah like because i started traveling like this in 2012 okay yeah um at the moment, you know, as I said before, my big focus is is educating and breaking down stereotypes. Yeah. That's a big piece for me. And it's also being a supporting, I've, you know, I've been very, very lucky and fortunate with my career and I don't take any of it for granted. Um, but now what I want to do is be that support for everyone else and sort of give everyone the support that I was able to have yeah. as I was um, developing and am still developing paying it forward yeah i think that's the most noble things to do as you become older and yeah we learn a lot and it's best to share the things yeah. that we've learned exactly i'm like i will push people forward i i was pushed into uncomfortable places so it made me um develop a little bit would yeah. i do that to other people well if the situation arises if i know that they can do that absolutely yeah um but yeah that's my focus is that and then also sharing these incredible five single malts with other people, then also whiskey in general, because yeah. the lovely thing about the whiskey industry, as well as you said with agave and with everything, is that no matter what brand that you work for or what company that you work for, at the end of the day, we're all friends. Yeah. We're all here for the greater good. It, it is, and it feels that way. And the cordiality of sharing these grams and you guys making time in your schedule, I'm very, very thankful for that. Not at all. So. I mean, it's just kind of like a work and lunch, right? That's what we're doing. This is... Well, this whiskey's helping my digest me digest my uh, experience of Texas barbecue we just had. Oh, perfect! It really yeah. does do that. <laughs> no better whiskeys to do that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Irene, thanks so much for coordinating this, and Georgie, thanks so much for coming. Thank up you and so much. Sipping. And uh, I want to get some pictures, but also off the mic, just again wax poetic about this. Craig Kelly, yeah. twenty three, <laughs> again not employed by Bacardi. So, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you. So there we have it, Miss Georgie Bell, the global malt brand ambassador for Bacardi. We specifically sipped on some Aberfeld, I believe some Marsala cask finished, some Craig Gellicke 13, some Craig Gellicke 23. What a life it is. And for Georgie, don't let anyone tell you you can't have a life sipping and talking about whiskey. Opportunities are there. Luck exists. Hard work will always drive you further to those amazing sipping dreams. So, Georgie, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting. And I see there's a 50-plus-year Craig Gellicke on tour. I don't know where it's going to be next, but I may just fly out to get a dram. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how valuable you find eBay in times of need or if you're thinking, I really don't want to do my taxes this year, please keep thinking.